Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, less ukulele. In this episode, we're just a touch late for National Home Fermentation Day, but making a fermented hot sauce is an everyday project that you can start in a flash. To kick off your spicy journey, I'm talking with Brian Trout of San Fuego about how to make the best chili crisp, salsa, and fermented hot sauces. But first, a message from our sponsors. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. The next generation of countertop home distillation systems is here. The all-new Airstill Pro from Still Spirits is a revolutionary still that will look right at home alongside your everyday kitchen appliances. This small-batch 2-in-1 distillation system operates in either pot still or reflex mode and allows you to craft high-quality light and dark spirits at home. No hoses, no complicated assembly, just plug-and-play. The Airstill Pro column cools itself with a built-in high-powered fan. The Still Spirits Airstill Pro is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer. Learn more about the Airstill Pro at stillspirits.com or check them out on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. I celebrate uh, cross-pollination of hobbies, and sometimes you find the weirdest things in another hobby you do. You, you might be cooking and barbecuing, and then all of a sudden maybe you have a brainstorm of, hey, maybe this might be good in uh, a mead or uh, this beer. So um, I'm definitely a big celebrator of that. If we do the timing on this right, Yes, this will come out the day before the newly rebranded Mead Day, aka now Home Fermentation Day, on August fifth from the American Homebrewers Association. So, if we have the timing on this right, God yes. help us, then it sounds like this is absolutely the perfect place to talk. <laughs> yes, excellent. Just to put the background in there for people, for years and years and years and years, August has been reserved as you know um, the HA's Mead Day. Someday in August was Mead Day. And this year they've decided to expand it into home fermentation because, after all, why just make mead? I'm always still curious as to why brewers got mead and not wine. But hey, it is where we are. So, 
I figured given that we were talking about like a home fermentation day or really just kind of home, you know, home project day in a way, uh, that for something that would give people a place where they could start talking about salsas and sauces and all that sort of fun stuff was a pretty good, quick, quick to start project. How's that for an explanation? Yeah. It, the old Othello uh, commercial, a minute to learn, a lifetime to master. Exactly. So <laughs> let's start with the basic question because it's the same one you get asked as a brewer all the time. Hey, dude, I can go into my grocery store. I can buy a bunch of salsas and sauces and whatnot. Why do I want to make my own? I have the answer to that. I have um, pictures uh, that I've taken, even like the Mexican grocery stores and everything else. They typically, uh, so there's there's a lot of elements that occur when you're making salsa. They always use um, usually like a vinegar or they'll use citric acid. And even the salsas you buy from the store, you think like all these tubs that are fresh, you look at the, re- the recipe and they're just, they're making a massive, you know, scale of something. They're using uh, vinegar or citric acid. Um, I'm actually flipping through my talk right now because that's, um, <laughs> I got to talk about that. Um, the structure of salsa and uh, why make salsa. So salsa is super good for you. Um, if you're talking about fresh salsas or even fermented salsas, they can be, you know, fun and easy, uh, beginner to all the way to advanced, um, homemade is superior to anything you'll ever eat or buy at a restaurant. If you're doing it right. Um, they're healthy, low calories. They are tons of vitamins. They, uh, the peppers and the, um, everything that's in it, it kind of boosts your brain, uh, your brain activity, your immunity. Um, they're excellent brew snacks. Uh, and you know, we're dealing with, um, when we're dealing with homemade, um, instead of using just white vinegar or, uh, uh, packaged citric acid or, uh, acetic acid, usually I like using, um, for the acidity, I, I like using fresh limes. And it's actually been proven that salsa keeps better and it's safer made with um, fresh lime juice. And of course, fresh lime is being expensive to use at a commercial level. Like if you're trying, yeah, to- yeah, exactly. And I think even even like little tubs from your grocery store, you think like, oh, someone's making this. Um, yeah, they probably are, but you know, they're also you know packaging it um but like lime lime juice fresh lime is awesome and you could do that on a small scale so this is kind of like the home brewing uh version or a really good mexican restaurant version um they use white onions limes you know roasted garlic sometimes or grilled things uh cilantro um you know kosher salt i mean we're kind of dealing with those elements with the peppers and these elements they kind of put everything together so you have um cooling elements from the cilantro and they have hot elements and you have all this like uh secondary tertiary quaternary notes uh at work so that you know your your salsa that you're making homemade once you get it dialed in you're dealing with all these layers and layers of like your primary and secondary colors um, on your palate, you know, and it's amazing. 
for anybody who doesn't live along the Mexican border, like you and I both live in that area, first lay the groundwork of uh, salsa is more than just salsa fresca. <laughs> correct. I mean, correct. Whatever, and, what everybody and, thinks of, you know, around the country, they're thinking of like a, a pico or a salsa fresca type salsa. That this it's funny. Like so, one of the things AHA kind of asked me about is is uh, authentic authenticity. And uh, I kind of did this authenticity and tone. And, you know, there's three definitions of authentic. And a lot of people are like, what's authentic salsa? Can you tell people about what authentic salsa is? And I asked the room, I'm like, can you give me an authentic beer? Pour an authentic beer into my glass. So uh, same thing, you know, fit. So, uh, you know, authentic, there's like three definitions. One's conforming to the original as a re- reproduce essential features. Another definition is made or done in the same way as the original. And I think a lot of us as brewers and makers kind of keep a little bit with that. But really the third definition is the one that is key. Um, true to one's personality, spirit, or character. Uh, the, the only reason why I bring up the salsa fresca thing is just because I want to make sure people understand. I mean, Mexico and Central America, I mean, that's a huge swath of territory, huge different yeah, yes, huge swaths of culinary variety and differences. And so, yeah, when you go and you look at like salsa, it's like, okay, where are you talking about? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, to make sure a lot of Americans have like just kind of this, the idea of like, oh, that's the salsa I get with my chips at the restaurant. Yeah, but Correct. salsa is a very broad topic. After all, it's sauce. Yes, yes. It's, it's another thing that's really interesting is salsa that usually you know kind of what i do versus what you know it's that that true to one's personality spirit or character right Mm -hmm. so the best salsas the best food that you'll ever have um in your life is usually because someone's being true to one's personality spirit or character and whether you're into what they're about or not it's going to be unique and it's going to be distinct and it's really going to pop out as what they're doing. And, and salsas in Mexico, and even if I go to you know Baja and go to all these like little taco stands and tents in these alleys that probably have phenomenal food that I eat at all the time, their salsas are a lot more watered down. So if you're dealing with, you know, hey, what is Mexican salsas? A lot of them are kind of more watered down than what we have come to expect here in the U S and they do add some water and they make it. The difference is it's a condiment down there. Like you have a food item, you have a taco, you have a tostada, you have um, some, some meat plate, whatever it is. You're taking a spoon in this more liquid salsa. That's more runny and more, um, you know, kind of, you could just take spoons and spoon this on. And maybe you take two different salsas, a, a green one, and maybe some really spicy red one that you drizzle on there, right? It, it's thought of as a condiment and something you would just like spoon on to a food item. Where in the US, uh, salsa became popular. Um, in like the late seventies, you know, really the mid eighties was the heyday where it like exploded and it exploded because of, um, one of the companies was pace 
and based in Texas. And that was the chunky salsa and what we know to be this sort of, um, I, I guess the U.S. thinks of it as, I have a bag of tortilla chips. I'm going to dip them into this and just mop it up, which you could do down there as well. But I think the runnier, lick, more liquid, it, it acts as a condiment rather than a chip dip. Literally a sauce, right? Yeah. So you you touched on a little bit before about acidity. Mm-hmm. As brewers, we are used to the idea that we have made the thing that is safe from pathogens or contaminations that can harm you because you know we've got alcohol, we've got IBUs, and we've got acid uh, an acid change. When we're dealing with something like a salsa or a fermented hot sauce or anything like that, we no longer have a bunch of those components. What with salsa, we're dealing primarily with what acid and salt as our safety mechanisms, right? And maybe heat. It's definitely like this sort of, um, yeah, we're dealing with, you know, the heat. Usually I make fresh salsas and the fresh salsas that I make, um, some of them are good for, well, like matcha. Matcha you can put on a dark shelf and it's pretty good for a long time, Um, which is an oil-based kind of garlic and oil and uh, ground up chili. Um, what I kind of think of like Chinese food, like a chili crisp. Yeah, it, it is. And it, it is inspired by it. It started from um, uh, like kind of um, Veracruz um, and, and all these areas that it's popular. It's kind of everything comes from a unsavory historic place. Much like if you look in the history of rum, it's not the nicest thing. Um, it's kind of salsa and a lot of the, you know, the Chinese people were in these certain areas of Mexico making roads, making, uh, you know, railways, and they kind of settled. So we have huge Chinatowns in Mexico, which is surprising maybe to some, but those areas have a lot of matcha. So I think it's a cross-pollination of old kind of, nuts and seeds based salsa of like Aztec Incas, like the, the old, old, old salsas using that and the kind of almost like chili crisp and that kind of oils, uh, almost uh Shijuan. So it's kind of a mutt, but really good. And if you don't know about it now, you'll be charged $20 or $50 for a jar of it soon. So yeah, it's it's definitely the the mezcal of the salsa kingdom. Well, so tell me how I make it. So the idea of this is um, you have a lot of garlic, a lot. I mean, we're talking a bulb, not a clove, like a bulb, maybe more than a bulb. All the best recipes start with one head of garlic. Yeah, it it's two ounces. Like it's like two ounces of, of dried chilies, uh, two ounces of garlic. Um, I kind of do a treatment of olive oil to avocado oil, or olive oil to another oil uh, base oil. It kind of almost like the same thing as putting oil and butter in a pan. It doesn't make the butter burn. So that's you know kind of a technique to if you put a little oil and butter in a pan. Uh, that butter will not like brown and burn uh, as quick. So it's kind of like that same idea. 
Um, yeah, it has nuts and seeds, like sometimes peanuts, sometimes pecans. I do both uh, toasted sesame seeds. Um, you know, balsamic vinegar is nice or do apple cider vinegar. Um, it's interesting to do sherry vinegar or anything fun in this. It's only a little bit, like two, two tablespoons in the whole thing. Um, and then some salt and some water. And of course, you have to be super careful for that because you have oil. So you have to let it come down to temperature, a certain temperature, and then put a little splash of water, a little splash of water just to make sure you're not um, creating a fire hazard. It's essentially a stainless steel pan. And you, um, the, the biggest thing to do, it's a lot of prep work. So the prep work is you get a bunch of dried chilies. I have a whole blend that I use. We're talking uh, Wahio, Cascabel, Arbol. It's always Arbol in there. And I put a little uh, Chipotle in mine. And I think I put, uh, what is my new blend now? Oh, I think I'm using, for my dried pepper blend, I'm using Wahio's, Cascabel, Chipotle, Arbol, um, Polya, and Ancho. And you, these dried peppers, you have to take off the stem, you take out the seeds, you dice it up in like little ribbons, like basically scissors, and you basically make, you take all the seeds out. So it takes a while to take seeds out of like small peppers. Big peppers are a little easier. Particularly um, like, yeah, well, chili de arbol are like tiny and potent. Yes. So like I'm dividing those like down and I'm, I'm kind of like kind of taking most of the seeds out and everything. So essentially... You roast the garlic, you put the garlic in the oil, like all these little cloves of garlic peeled, you know, and you put them in the oil and you kind of bring it up to the simmer. And basically it toasted, it, it, it toasts all those. You toast the seeds, you toast the nuts, you put them aside. So you have toasted nuts, toasted seeds in a bowl, um, all like crushed up. And then you have your chili oil you're making and it makes the kitchen smell amazing. And your little, uh, garlic floats around in there and gets all like browned. And then I fish those out and put them in a bowl on the side. And the next thing you take those ribbons of chilies and dump them in and you could dump in all like maybe two thirds of those seeds and nuts and put them in there. Um, put everything in there, garlic in there. So basically you put it in there, you let it simmer a bit and then you, you kind of just like turn, I turn off the heat and I just like cover it and let it sit. And it basically like hydrates in that oil and it becomes like chili, pepper, nut and seed, beautiful oil. Uh, put it in a like quart jar and I'll throttle it with the um, uh, immersion blender, like up and down. All right. Throttle it a couple times, get it to like a paste, a thick paste where, you know, it's whatever your preference is. But you basically make, I like the thick paste kind of consistency and pretty fine. But then I save some of the nuts and the seeds on the side and I might crush those up by hand or like, you know, hit it with a rolling pan or whatever, or, and then, or just throttle it once and just to have some chunks in there as well. Yeah, that way you get a, you get a blend of textures. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's, it's great. It's, it's basically, it makes the kitchen smell amazing. But yeah, it's if you're not in the smelling roasted peppers, oil with garlic and nuts and seeds and stuff, it's it's pretty delicious smelling. 
It would be remiss not to remind people to be a little careful when you go and you dump things like your Arbol chilies and any of the subsequent chili powder into the oil. Don't have your face over the pot unless you want to mix yeah. yourself. Um, well, it's not that bad for this one. Um, Some of but it I, is. I will. I will actually. I I will give the safety first. My safety first thing. So when you're blending, when you're blending anything. Uh, and even with that immersion blender, if you're blending stuff or putting peppers in blenders, uh, especially if you've heated something up and you're dumping it in there and kind of, you know, steaming it in the uh, your blender and throttling it, you want to be really aware, like, because sometimes, you know, you have a th- thicker consistency and it could glop up on you. Um, so the safety, um, my safety slide here is... Uh, you want to have like um, like nitrate gloves, uh, especially if you're dealing with fresh peppers or even like those dried peppers. Because I've like chopped up dried peppers and they seem like pretty good, but even like a little of the oil gets on your hand. And if you're like sweating, you you wipe your bra- brow, you might get some in your eye or get like a little bit around your face. Um, so that could hurt. Um, but my safety first here is. Wear, um, wear glasses or like, you know, what you would wear for doing repairs around the house or whatever, uh, wear, you know, your, your goggles Wear you know, the, your, um, clear goggles, um, Baroxo is really good for washing your hands. It takes out a lot of the stuff that would, you know, hurt you, um, but better than soap, um, use, uh, gloves, your nitrate gloves. Um, have adequate ventilation. If you don't have adequate ventilation, open your, you know, open your windows, open your doors, put fans in there. It's good to have a lot of ventilation, especially when you're dealing with some of these hot peppers. And the third thing is wash up with cold water. Use cold water when you're rinsing, uh, you know, off your cutting board, your knives, uh, all your, you know, blender, when you're rinsing your food processor, everything else, you want to use cold water. Uh, don't make a m- mistake in using hot water. Um, you can use hot water, but you're going to be coughing a lot. Because what it does, it kind of atomizes all that chili and all that um, stuff you're cleaning up. And it can be really hot. And as soon as that hot water hits those oils and cleans up that stuff, it's going to rinse it down the drain, but it's going to create this like, basically a cloud that's going to make you know everyone cough so clean up with cold water first before you get the soap and hot water and to to borrow a quote from the hot ones careful around the eyes yeah yeah it's and you think you know you think it's all cleaned up but you really have to like clean up multiple times and really uh be careful you know the danger is like the uh, and we'll get into this with uh, fermented. This is a big issue. Be careful around yourself. Be careful around loved ones. Be careful around uh, kids. Um, you know, animals. Um, y- you have to be very careful with all this stuff until it's super cleaned up, and your hands are super cleaned up multiple times. Um, yeah, just be really. 
really safe about this. Um, getting this stuff in your eye is not fun. Um, all right. So we got our sort of chili crisp uh, matcha, right? The, yeah. Okay. So we got that. That's that's sort of your long storage. Not that, yeah. Day. And that's, that's pretty involved. I think everyone's like, you know, there's a bunch of things that people are more used to. Like, uh, you know, but some of the stuff that comes from places that, you know, I have, you know, met people that um, at homes down in Guadalajara and they make this, uh, made this salsa and they thought it was really hot and all the grandmas and all the, the, the ants are coughing, putting globs on their hand and they're like, oh, it's really hot. And I went over and I like basically inhaled it and they're like looking at me like, what the hell? So they kind of like gave me a little bit of recipe or a little bit of ideas of how they made it. And then I kind of took that and changed it up and did my own kind of take on that. But um, well, that's the Guadalajara your, one. Well, to your point about, or to the point that we made earlier about like Mexico is a very big place with lots of different cuisines. I think there's also a mistake that a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, it's all about the chili peppers, which means it's all about the heat. But I mean, a good portion of different forms of Mexican cooking are, yes, it's about a lot of chilies, but it's a lot of chili flavor and not a lot of hot. So Yeah. Yeah. There's usually, you know, there's usually uh, most places, even if, if even it's like a place, a hole in the wall or like whatever place, there's usually one that's like a, a lower heat level, which could be like a medium heat or maybe a medium low, depending on where you're at. Um, you kind of have to test the water. But there's usually two different salsas there, at least. And one of them is probably mind-numbingly hot, and one of them is probably a kind of medium, medium-low, maybe. So, um, and sometimes they both look very similar. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's kind of like you have to, you know, test it a bit and uh, taste it and then uh, see which one's which. But, um Mexico is so massive that um, there's so many different areas that do different peppers and different treatments of things or um, pan roasted ingredients versus, you know, this kind of um, chili crisp, um, you know, versus this versus a red one versus a green one versus all these different levels of roast and um everything else so you know the say salsa is one thing is kind of like uh <laughs> incorrect on every level so well i mean again it would be kind of like talking about french sauces and assuming everything's bernays yeah, yeah exactly um yeah, i think the the little talkery around the corner for me they have this you know they have a couple of salsas on it and the one that's the terrifying one is the one that's sort of brick angry red and not tomato red, like brick angry chili red. Yeah, and, and yeah. That's, that's when you use sparingly. <laughs> yeah, and and yeah, sometimes they're, you know, at most places, and this isn't the case all the time, but some places you like you see the usually orange, like if it's if it's kind of like an orange color, and you don't know how it's made, it's probably pretty hot. Um, maybe that's, that's <laughs> kind of like habanero in there. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's. They kind of like, I mean, that's not always the case, but um, sometimes if it, you know, has that orangey, orangey color to it, sometimes that's the, 
the hottest one. And I think particularly that's more common, like the closer you get into the Caribbean and like say the Yucatan. Yeah. You know, I know like the folks from the Yucatan are nuts about habaneros, which God bless them. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I've had some like recently, I think recently I've had some habaneros that I liked. I usually hate on habaneros and I tell people the, go with another um, similar than a habanero that's a similar heat. Because um, habanero to me, it comes across as almost like a, sometimes they come across as like just heat and kind of a, um, almost like a, a little bit of a metallic floral thing. And, um, but this year, I think I found some habaneros that I actually like that have more of a tropical flavor with the heat um, that has been delicious. Yeah, I think the best habaneros are the ones that kind of taste like an angry cross between orange and pineapple. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if they taste like orange and pineapple, it's almost like Scotch bonnets. So Scotch bonnet is a similar heat level, sometimes a little bit hotter, but I like Scotch bonnets because they typically have this like kind of tangerine, mango, pineapple thing. Um and it, it looks a lot like a habanero, but... Um, and by the way, you do also know that there are a bunch of people who are listening to us talk about this and are just thinking, what are you talking about? That just tastes hot. Yeah, I mean, th- yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's... To me, it's like, I'm fine using hot to an extent, but, you know, I always love um, things that are uh, like heat but complexity. You know, like, I don't want to just kill people with heat, um, especially when it comes to salsas and sauces. I could kill people with heat. That's easy. Anyone could do that. Like, it's like saying, uh, you know, hey, I could make a beer that's super roasty. Or you know, super bitter. Or yeah. super bitter. Like, um, yes, like, you know, if you think back to the IBU's, um, the IBU arms race, where everything's called you know, pallet wrecker and tongue buckler. And, um, you know, <laughs> you, um, this is so bitter. You can't take it. Yeah, um, exactly. and that, that's like, that's, that's, you know, that's not a thing really that to me, that's not a goal. Yep. Um, you know, and I, I, I talk about that. It, like I said, um, and by authentic, uh, on, authenticity and tone i said um you never want hollow uh banal soulless uninspired and uninspiring so whatever you do with brewing with making anything um i mean that's always the goal right it it, it's what you can't quantify but it's what makes you drink something or share something and you're like wow this is the best thing i've made you know, um, that's always the goal. Well, yeah, and with salsa, it's giving me a little pain, give me a lot of flavor. All right, so we talked like the the super safe thing, the the chili crisp idea. Yeah, and all, all fresh salsas are pretty pretty safe. You know, because you make it fresh, and you know you, you're eating it in a day or two or whatever, right? Um, now, if I wanted to make fermented hot sauce, again. With all the caveats that we that, that we kind of put yeah. up front, we yes. are now in the world of food products, which means that we are dealing with some stuff that could possibly hurt you in a way. If you're not yeah, careful. yes. 
if I wanted to get started making a fermented hot sauce, one, let's put out the safety thing. You know, we talk salt and acid, right? Yes. What, what, what do I need to know from safety perspective? I first recommend, and, and I will give some horror stories here. Um, acidity. Um, acidic. Acidity. There's a license that you could get, and it's fairly easy. It's probably a class online, and I highly recommend... Oh, here we go. There's... I think this one maybe is the one I'm thinking of. National Institute of Health, and there's food safety. If you type in... Um, uh, it, it talks about pH um, reliant, intelligent food packaging, um, food packaging um, with pH in commercial canning and commercial packaging. So there's all these classes and, and usually from these universities that deal with this stuff. Um, and you could, yeah, National Institute of Health actually does it, government. Um, and Oklahoma State University does it. Um, and there's a bunch of other things on here. But if you get that, um, and you can take this short class, and and you, it will be telling you, here's the things you need to know. Um, and I think it's, um, there's like this uh, pH that you're looking for. And when you do anything with fermented salsa or fermented sauces, um, you're looking for a pH drop and you're looking for, even if you have a pH drop, you're probably back sweetening it at the end when the blending takes place because, you know, sweet calms heat. This is a Cicerone term, um, which is why uh, you would pair really spicy things with like something with some sweetness to it. You know, if you're having barbecue and stuff and you're pairing it with maybe a, uh, um, a, a Meritzen or a, um, a traditional Bach, that might go really well, right? So the smokiness and the, the sweetness would go together. And if you have a little like spice on there. So the same holds true with this. And there's, there's a pH level you're going for. Um, uh, let's see here. I'm going to type in, make sure I get my, I think it's around four, two. I I'm not, um, totally sure. Okay. It talks about a pH dip. Um, yeah, I think it's around four. Um, you're really dealing with like four, three, I want to say four, three, sometimes like Around four five four three um, pH, uh, and then there's also commercial manufacturers. Um, they do all kinds of things. So vinegar is one way to get the acidity, um, but if you get that acidity, you're probably not going to have the lacto fermentation, right? So. It's lactobacillus that kind of does the fermentation. Right. Um, Just like pickles and sauerkraut. Exactly. A lot of of food ferments are all lacto-based. I I actually use my homemade sauerkraut. um, I use some juice to um, kind of give it a boost, essentially, or inoculate it. So you could use like real sauerkraut or real 
um, something that's active, like an active culture. Uh, I mean, yes, you could probably buy it from a homebrew place, but that's probably not the right one you want to use. You want to use it from plants um, because you're dealing with plants. Right. So if you went out and you bought the fancy sauerkraut or the fancy pickles. Exactly. Like the fancy, you know, the stuff that's active. Um, And I'll take like maybe a tablespoon or so of that juice and put it into my, 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 um, I, so some people chop up peppers and they'll chop up peppers and put them in a, um, I, I guess let's talk about the fermentation process. Um, so, um, I wonder if I could show, so there's this cool, I wish I could show this, but we probably can't. Um, so there's this really cool video. Um, watch the video of Tabasco getting made and the process of Tabasco getting made. There's like a factory tour, a whole, um, kind of tour from start to finish. It's like their Tabasco video. Yeah, we'll include this in the show notes so people can link to it and go, oh, yes. yeah, that. So this Tabasco video is really interesting because, one, they only use 2% salinity when they make Tabasco. Um, two, it, they have the the um, Tabasco peppers, and they have this, like, hose. It almost looks like they're, you know, they have this hose that's, like, pouring into these barrels, and it's just this slurry. And the slurry is ground up peppers, like with uh, water and two percent salinity. That goes into a barrel. They they put the top of the barrel. They're sitting like upright. They're stacked, and they put um, the barrel lid on there. And what they do is put like a salt cap. They take like salt on the top of that barrel that's already closed, and they put a layer of salt. So when it's fermenting. And, you know, they, they pack it down with like this, like, you know, get it down the slurry and it probably put something in there, like a piece of paper or butcher's paper. And so if it's fermenting, it's starting to, you know, maybe leak or anything like any kind of, uh, you know, bubbles or anything coming out. It, it makes that salt, like basically a, a pancake of hardness on top. So when they get the thing off the top, they chip it away and brush it away when they open this thing up but they ferment it a really long time and then they blend it for like, I think four days. is it three days or four days? They blend it in a blender with all the peppers. They get the seeds out of there. So they have this big seed separator. And so they have the slurry already. They're separating the seeds and then they take that um, and they have a lot of vinegar. So notice they do treatment. If you look at the recipe on the back of the thing, it's, pretty much vinegar that's flavored with Tabasco peppers and salt. So when you're dealing with New Orleans, like um, uh, New Orleans style, like hot sauces and those, which are definitely some of them are fermented. They use a lot of vinegar, a lot. So that's why it's like this flavored vinegar. But now Um, we're making a, if we're making a fermented hot sauce at home, we don't have to do that, right? Because no. we're, try- we're trying to get the lactobacillus to generate the acid that we need. We, yeah, yes. I mean, but that's what they're doing too. Right. They use the lactobacillus to generate the flavor, but then they're also using that vinegar to kind of get in a safety range. 
Right. So that's one one way to do it is safety by acidifying because we're looking for that 4.3-ish pH. But the big safety here is, um, and I I will tell a story about this, Um, people that have been brewing for a long time, and we're talking commercial brewers, and we're talking people that know what they're doing with everything, and they win medals of everything. Um, They've made a hot sauce before that you open it up and it hisses no matter when you open it up. It's always, even in the fridge. It's a little lively. And so it changes as time goes on because it's still fermenting. Now, the crazy thing is, um, and this is horrible, um, one of my friends had a kid in his arms and he was opening up a sauce. It gushed. It hit the ceiling. Um, A bottle opened and it hit the ceiling. It sprayed all over. Fortunately, he was able to cover the baby and nothing happened there. But think about that. Um, Someone that knows what they're doing, and this could be you um, listening to this, uh, you think, oh, yeah, I know what I'm doing with beer. I know what I'm doing with this. I know what I'm doing with that. Well, I could say I know what I'm doing with a lot of things, and I had to dump one or two. So you really have to be aware when something starts going weird and um, to be able to dump that uh, fermentation and start over. Um, You know, definitely, uh, you know, you you can't be too safe. But I only had one. I think I only had one that went weird on me. And then one I dumped because I didn't like the flavor going on. It just didn't didn't work. Well, so I think the what the big thing from a food safety point of view would be to look for mold, right? Mold's the big obvious one. Well, there's so here's here's the thing that's kind of weird. Um, there's this thing called um, com yeast. It's K A H M, and that could be like kind of like a white, almost like a this kind of like almost. Um, I don't know, like a yogurty or fluffy, like white thing. Is that the stuff that kind of looks almost like a pellicle? Yeah, it's a, a little pellicle looking, but it could be just like this white kind of thing that kind of gets. You could kind of scrape that. So what I do when I ferment, um, I, I go back here. Um, so I have a like a quart. Usually, I have a quart size ball jar, like one of those with the. Um, the plastic, like those screw-on plastic lids that you get. Yep. And what I do, I get a hole saw, and I work really gently with a hole saw, very, very, very gently, and get it to the point where it almost fits a... um, I put the one-piece airlock, the one that's shaped like an S, right? Yep. So I, I get that jammed in there like twisted in and i say okay that fits awesome it's snug now you could get ones with that grommet on there or like a little rubber grommet or something that works better for you and that's fine just you know you could buy lids online of that well and speaking of which our sponsor of the show brewing america sells a perfect mason jar lid that takes a stopper <laughs> oh there there you go well that that's a lot easier than what i do 
Um, so yeah, it's, you know, you can crack that lid and, or it can, you know, only last you a couple of ferments before another lid you have to do. So, um, yes, uh, buy, buy one. So you have the S shaped airlock jammed in the lid. Whenever you're fermenting in this, this jar, uh, you never want to fill it up. Uh, you, you don't want to fill it up too much, like fill it up 80%. 75% is fine, 80% is fine, but as you have a something in there fermenting, it is going to kind of swell, and especially if you have a kind of a mash, a pepper mash, let's call it. So you have a pepper mash in there, consistency of a, like kind of a, a milkshake kind of consistency, maybe a little, you know, that that sort of thing, like almost um, what you would imagine a, uh, you know, a jarred um, pasta sauce, right? A, a that kind of consistency to a thick milkshake consistency is what I kind of shoot for. Um, so you have that in the jar. It, it does swell. Like there's going to be air, like little pockets of fermentation. It does swell a bit. Um, but I'll get into that. Well, when you're when you're making that pepper mash, I mean, are you turning it into like actual slurry or are you? I do. Okay, because I know a lot of recipes start with just kind of like almost like rough chopped. Yes, you can. You can do so. So, um, I I guess I should talk about homegrown peppers, homegrown peppers versus store bought peppers. Homegrown peppers. Even if you rinse them off from your garden, pick them and get them ready, uh, take off the stems and kind of, you know, chop it up or blend it in a uh, food processor or blender with, you know, some water and, and salt or rough chop or whatever. It, it's going to have a lot more uh, stuff to grow and ferment or maybe stuff to go in the wrong direction. Um, where you buy stuff from the store, it's usually kind of covered in that like food grade wax. It's meant to be like, Hey, it's attractive. Um, kind of like store bought apples versus, um, you know, getting apples from a like farmer's market. It's a big difference, right? So I talk about that first. And, um, second, I do the slurry. I like doing the slurry. Um, so in this glass jar, you know, I, I'll dunk it in a, you know, before doing everything, I'll kind of dunk it in my star sand, right? Shake it out, all the airlock, all the stuff, star sand, you know, have spray the, t- spray the counter down with some isopropyl, wipe it down, you know, so it's really clean. I try to keep it as clean as possible as if I'm a, commercially making this stuff. Um, that's a good idea. And then I put a glass bowl on the, um, your, your regular kitchen scale, your, your brewing scale, whatever, you know, everyone that ferments something probably has all this equipment or whatever. So you put that on there, you weigh out your peppers. Um, and I weigh my peppers after I pull off the stems and they're all ready. They're prepped like, they're ready to be ground or whatever, right? So I have my peppers ready. I weigh those out. Um, you know, maybe 
I could weigh out some like other stuff I wanted to, but really the pepper weight is the big thing. And then what I do, whatever that pepper weight is, I weigh it in grams Mm -hmm. and then I take salt and I use a salinity or a salt weight. Let's say a salt weight of, um, I like using around 5%. So around 5% of what that, weight of your peppers are is what salt you use so just to put that into math concrete math terms if you have 100 grams of pepper you want about five grams of salt correct so yes like around five grams of salt and you might still have to like add a little salt when you go blend when you blend the blending is a real magic when it comes to anything but you kind of want a good fermentation right so what I will do, I will take that, you know, weight of the salt, weight of the peppers. You know, sometimes I'll add, you know, if I'm using um, sriracha, I might use the weight of garlic. So here's my jar. It looks like 75% full of the mash. And, uh, you know, and I talk about, you know, botulism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big thing. Even pro, pro, uh, uh, sauce companies, they get taken off the market, uh, botulism. So there's all these things that can happen. So, And again, this is very important because usually as brewers, we don't worry about any sort of, yeah, even no. if we get something contaminated, eh, yes. contamination just makes something taste bad. Botulism is bad. Botulism can kill. Yes. And uh, so be very, very careful and know what you're doing. Right. Well, and that's part of the reason for the salt, right? I mean, the salt helps protect it against Correct. it, and and also inoculating it. I will talk about that. So, so my jar here, and there's all this information, misinformation online. Please don't, please don't use misinformation online. Oh yeah, you're fermenting it. Let's put it in a sealed jar with a lid on it. Just burp it. That yeah, exactly. I mean, you probably could daily, but come on. You're, you probably, uh, you know, that could be a hazard. Others like tie, you know, a paper thing on there, a, a paper towel with a rubber band. And you could do that, but also that's going to get weird, right? Mm-hmm. So the airlock, the S airlock is what I like. Right. So here we go. Um, I say ferment it, my mash. Um, I salt. I use salt percentages, either kosher I usually use um, Martins, and there's a big difference between Martins and uh, Diamond. Uh, people that, that cook a lot might know mm-hmm. uh, recipes that say one or the other. You might make it and say, hey, this is way too salty or not salty enough. Yeah, the general right. rule of thumb is half the amount of Mortons if if the recipe specifies this as uh, Diamond Crystal. Yes. We have salt percentages. I use kosher salt. Or pickling salt, or sea salt, if you wanted. Um, pickling salt, by the way, is you could buy it at like um, probably your local Ace Hardware or like any kind of any kind of place that does pickle stuff, pickle making things and jam making. Um, it's usually by Ball, and it will come in a sealed bag that has a zip. Like you want to keep it sealed. It's, um, it will absorb water. It is straight salt. So the difference between that and kosher salt, um, 
pickling salt will have um it will be like clear right your 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 brine mm-hmm. so that's why people use it it's a straight nacl so straight nacl is pickling salt um kosher salt works great i, I like either one really and if, if remember, and i do pickling salt is also very fine right Yes, it's also very fine. It's really I like doing um, sauerkraut and pickles with that, um, just because the the brine looks really kind of nice. But when it comes to making sauce, I mean, making hot sauces, it, it, it doesn't. We're looking at two to seven percent. I use five to six percent of the pepper mash weight. So, I, and I th- I said pepper mash weight. So maybe this is so I. I do, um, I use a little water. So I take the peppers, I put them in my blender and they're not going to blend or even a food processor. It's not going to blend very well, right? Without a little water. Mm -hmm. So I might add, you know, maybe a quarter cup of water or maybe, maybe it's a half a cup, whatever it takes to make that like thick, kind of a thick mash, that sort of jarred uh, spaghetti sauce. Uh, consistency or uh, thick milkshake consistency um that sort of slurry that Mm -hmm. that thick it's a mash it's a it's a thick mash thing right yep so i'll add a little water in there i'll do the food processor blender um and then i dump it in that jar put the airlock on there um but before i do i inoculate it so um, I do, uh, I will use like good sauerkraut. I will use, I, I say inoculate and boost. Uh, we're talking like Bubby's sauerkraut. If you buy store bought sauerkraut or something like that, some good high end sauerkraut, something that's not dead. Yeah. Something um, that has live cultures as we talked about. Live, yeah. The same thing was like, I just made yogurt the other day and I've been eating that, um, so I make yogurt a lot, and that's the same kind of idea. This all the active cultures, you know, certain yogurts you could use, certain yogurts you cannot use because um, they're just phony. Um, so use the good stuff, um, and or anything with lacto, any any good lacto thing that might be plant derived is great. So I will use a little bit of that broth. Maybe take a, a tablespoon and dip it into the the brine. And maybe if I'm eating sauerkraut or having a little, like I'll dip it in that brine, pull out like some of that juice (laughs) and just put like maybe two tablespoons in there. Right. Into my, my, my pepper mash jar. Um, so what this is going to do, it's going to help it get on its way and also drop the pH a little bit. Um, cause you're dealing with a jar. So, you know, two tablespoons, maybe two and a half, whatever, that's going to help it get a little tart and also have that lacto kind of already in in there. So it's almost like you're pitching. So think about it that way. You're kind of boosting. You're, you're inoculating boosting. You're not letting it just kind of go its own way and maybe weird things get a hold, right? So this makes it a little safer. It's anaerobic fermentation, no oxygen needed. It's primarily primarily lactobacillus. 
that really ferments. But, you know, sometimes Brett and all these other things, you know, happen as well. So you can't just say it's one thing. Um, so what I do while I'm fermenting it, I open that jar very carefully, you know, like with the airlock and I'll kind of put it aside like on a, on a sanitized towel for the airlock and the lid. And I take a plastic, a clean plastic spoon or whatever, a plastic spoon. And that will be my plastic spoon that I use for that, you know, stirring it. So I'll stir it. Um, I'll stir it every day, every day for maybe three days or four days at the beginning. And you'll see it swell. So what I'm doing is stirring it in and I'm getting that kind of like getting everything integrated. So if it separates and you're maybe like you have that liquid that you put in or part of that liquid kind of goes down to the bottom and you might have this like pancakey, like all the peppers float and they kind of get like this, you'll see like little, it'll swell a bit. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's very uh, analogous to what you do in winemaking when, you know, every day when you go and you make wine, you punch down the grapes. Exactly. You get them stirred back in, only this time, the grapes tend to give up their sugars and whatnot pretty quickly. So <laughs> you're still trying to get goodness out of the peppers by doing this. You, you ferment this stuff and, um, you know, it does swell up. Uh, you take that plastic spoon and stir it around uh, the first three days. Um, keep it really clean, you know. It, you're just kind of making sure that the water separation that goes down there, even if you don't put liquid, it will separate and get like thick on the top. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of that wine and that, um, that sort of thing. So you start around with a plastic spoon the first like three days or so. If you have inocul- inoculated it, uh, that could take over and all of a sudden you get the pH drop and it becomes safe, right? So you're trying to get that pH drop quick as possible and then um you skim the white um there's like this sometimes it becomes less like commute there's called a k-a-h-m and that's okay if it gets like black or like weird or it starts smelling weird or it doesn't smell right um that might be something bad you know it's better safe the uh, toss it. Well, peppers in the long run are cheap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, peppers in the long run are tre- cheap. Um, ha- uh, eating something with botulism is not. Be really careful with that. Um, but yeah, as long as you kind of inoculate it with the sauerkraut, you know, really good sauerkraut juice or whatever, um, healthy plant fermentation kind of uh, slurry, it could help it drop that pH quicker and also help it inoculate. You know, once you're done fermenting this thing and when it comes to um, the sriracha, that's red jalapenos, garlic, I think some sugar. Um, Usually the sugar is at the end. So it's like garlic, maybe a little pinch of sugar you could add, but it's usually red jalapenos. It's always red ripe jalapenos. Uh, a lot of garlic and, um, you know, same kind of fermentation. So then you kind of back sweeten it with um, some sugar when you blend it and some other stuff that kind of knock, kill it off. So one of the things that's a big issue, and this is a big safety issue. So congratulations, you've not made botulism in your fermentation. 
and you've made something that is low enough, you know, this 4.5, 4.6, 4.3, whatever in this range, that's okay. Right. And then it's done fermenting. I ferment for maybe one to two months. The primary fermentation is probably done. uh, It could be, it could be a week or two, but usually I, I, you know, a month before it's like, okay, that's really good. It's starting to get all, you know, nice and funky and nice and um, lacto and kind of nice. I like that flavor. It's changed. It's kind of sat in that environment for a while. So, you know, you kind of open the jar maybe, you know, once every week or once every two weeks, whatever. And then you're like, oh yeah, it smells like a different thing now, right? It's, it's changed from the fermentation. It's kind of melded and mellowed and maybe got some Brett funk on there and maybe some other, you know, interesting stuff. And maybe what was really like mind numbingly hot is still mind numbingly hot, but it's more complex and, and intricate. It's mind numbingly hot and flavorful. Yeah. It's, it's, you're adding this sort of like other element. It's, you know, like, uh, kind of like miso or anything like that. You're, you're adding this element that didn't exist. Um, and that's the first step. The big step is back sweetening or um, blending, balancing, back sweetening, and packaging. Mm-hmm. Th- this is a whole other, you know, thing. I mean, at this point in time, we've kept everything safe, like in its little hermetic home, right? And now, now suddenly we're we're back at another point where we could do something stupid. Yes, we could do something stupid. Um, we could also hurt ourselves and our um, a bunch of. You know, there's a lot of stuff with that cold water washing and that, you know, nice ventilation, keeping everything super clean, wiping down everything with isopropyl rag, keeping everything like, you know, your, your bottling bucket. And if you have like those, um, they're called woozy bottles. So those are little hot sauce bottles. You could actually buy cases and they're called woozies. W-O-O-Z-Y. So woozy bottle is the little hot sauce bottles. You can have the shaker on top if it's really vinegary and like thin, but I usually remove that little disc and just have the little, you know, just a little turn, um, you know, a cap on there. So it's like that mini hot sauce bottle. And you can use like one of those collapsible um, to package it in those bottles. You could use those little like, um, I think they're like the foldable little, I have one that's only for peppers that I use. Um, the little foldable funnels, they're, they're kind of made from uh, silicon. So you could use those because those are nice. You clean them up and, you know, really kind of get hot water on those after they get cleaned up and kind of get a good uh, clean cleanliness on that. And also, you know, put it in a bottling bucket and everything else. I mean, using those. you're doing star sand or something like that as well. Are you borrowing? Yeah, star sand. I you know, and I'm I'm having all my my woozy bottles in there, all my caps. So I'm taking them all out, dumping them out, like getting them ready, getting everything ready to fill. You could blend and balance if you're doing the whole like mash. If you take the whole mash and you're like, oh, the mash is great, I like it. Um, but what you'll see is maybe the mash you created, just the peppers and the fermentation slurry. 
that's part of it. That's part of the puzzle. Um, the real part that, that, that kind of gets it from this to, to this elevated, you know, amazing thing is how you deal with it. So you could put it in a blender if you're dealing with the whole thing. Um, you could blend it and just start putting things in there. The vinegar is a big thing because that drops that pH to a safe level. So vinegar is used a lot and some have a lot more vinegar, a lot more acid in that way. You could, you could use acids if you want. Um, I like vinegar. Sometimes it's like a apple cider vinegar. That's kind of fun or a malt vinegar, depending on the peppers I'm using or white vinegar, which is popular um, and really good. So that's usually what I'm using. You know, I could use white wine vinegar, you know, whatever vinegar I like, right? You're doing that. You're adding salt, a little bit of salt, whenever, you know, balancing it, right? And then you're usually adding a sweet element. You don't have to, but sometimes that kind of like is interesting. And also that thickness of that mash, think about that. You're probably adding a lot of water. You're diluting it. You're, you're, you're kind of... And there's nothing wrong with this. You're stretching it out. You're kind of, um, it's kind of like, um, well, with mead, if you taste raw honey and try this at home, get some honeys, taste the raw honey on a spoon, just a little bit, and then take like warm water, heat up some like nice clean water in a tea kettle or whatever in your microwave. Take some of that honey and do a half a bit of that honey and half a bit of hot water or warm water to dissolve it and let that kind of get together and taste that. And the difference is you're going to be able to taste all that complexity of the honey. It's kind of, um, it almost opens and elongates the same thing with whiskey and scotch. Like, you know, why you put like a drop or two of water that it blooms and it opens and it changes the flavor, right? So, so just a drop or two uh, does the trick for that. So think about that and think about the way mead and tasting honey works. So the same holds true for this peppers. You, you don't want to be eating pepper mash. You want to back sweeten it, you know, thin it out, get it all together the right way. What I will say is, um, for pasteurization, you could heat pasteurize. There's a whole chart of that where you might, you know, if you have a safe way to do this or a um, like pressure cooker or something like that that you could probably do or a water bath that really, you know, a sous vide stick, you could probably do that and raise that temperature and put all your bottles in there without, you know, with the caps loose on the top you know, so that it breathes and you just get that and get everything hot, right? So that's a way to pasteurize or heat it up all the, what you're blending. You could do it that way as well. Heat pasteurization, uh, vinegar helps, but you still have like, um, was it lactobacillus and brett and all these things wild in there, right? As you know, that stuff is very tenacious. And even if you do these things, you might be like, oh, put it in the fridge and you open it up, it starts hissing. 
or it might spray. So I like using a little bit of like, so if I'm doing the pepper mash and I'm thinning it out, I might be making a case of, you know, a big, I don't know, maybe it's a half a gallon of sauce out of this pepper mash. I could do, uh, I use a little Camden, like I'll maybe crush up one Camden tab for the whole thing. And then I might put a pinch, like just a little pinch. I mean, we're talking quarter teaspoon, maybe half teaspoon, if, depending on the size um, of potassium sorbate. So that kind of helps, uh, you know, helps prevent ferment refermentation. Well, yeah, and uh, yeah, sorbate sorbate prevents the replication of a yeast, which then prevents a fermentation from starting. Assuming that you don't have a large enough yeast population already active. Yes, so I. You know, I do that, like I'll put just a little pinch. I mean, we're talking just a little bit because you're not dealing with like a gallon. Right. You might be, but you're probably dealing with like a half gallon or, you know, after the fact you ferment this quart jar, this quart jar is probably at the end of the day, blending and balancing. It might be a half a gallon of sauce. So that's good to do. Um, you could add fruit. You could do, you know, you could do some dried fruits. You could do fruit juices. You could do all kinds of stuff, local ingredients. You know, I, I made this one hot sauce, uh, from a very hot fermented peppers. I use local white peaches that were like at the farmer's market. I bought a big bag at the time and I ground those up and I put those into a hot sauce. Yeah, it was, it, the, the hot sauce was called, um, we're sorry, but your princess is in another castle. <laughs> so that was my 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 peach Mario based hot sauce, as um, as one does. And I've I've also done a hot sauce fermented, um, really hot ghost peppers and super hot peppers mash, which stretched out a lot. I made tons of hot sauce from this because it was so brutal. You're not going to eat that. I don't. You know, you're taking a couple spoons of that or a half a cup of that. And then you're blending it. I made a hot sauce that had um, Fago rock and rye soda as back sweetening, which is like vanilla and black cherry soda, yep. if you're not familiar. So I had this vanilla black cherry soda, and then I tasted it. I'm like, oh, this is kind of nice. So I put like cinnamon, and I think it had some like um, Indian flavors in it. So it was like this nice... Indian with a little like vanilla cherry soda back sweetening. Um, so it starts out kind of like a little sweet and this cherry vanilla, then it goes into like this complex Indian like heat with uh, multiple layers of like this cinnamon and, you know, this sort of um, complexity. Are you adding those as like tinctures or are you just adding them as infusions into the, into the hot sauce itself or I'm, I'm, I'm dumped. I mean, I dumped, I open up cans of soda and just dump them into that big glass bowl that I'm blending. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and, that's, that's right. With liquids. But I mean, like if you wanted to go add spices or anything else, yeah, you could add that. I would say, uh, do that at the end. Almost everything you're doing the mash, you're fermenting a mash and at the, like, it's kind of like you have to, it's sort of like you don't know what you're making until you taste it, get a good sense of what the fermentation is doing, um, how it tastes, how brutally hot is it. Usually if it's brutally hot, you're probably going to back sweeten more. You know, uh, I've had, you know, 
I'm, I'm sure you've had like things with pineapple or mango with a really brutal pepper or like strawberries or, you know, um, actually I, I had one sauce called my hottest sauce to date and it was a bunch of dates um, from my tree uh, and a neighborhood tree. I kind of ground up a bunch of, you know, I had dates and then uh, I think figs and dates in it. Right. Um, but it was brutally hot. So yeah, you could do anything on bottling day and it's sort of a, it, it's kind of just read, read your sauce. Uh, if it comes out awesome. And then you could kind of blend and balance. If you want to thicken it, if you're heating it up, you could do some cornstarch slurry, right? You could do that if you want. I like xanthan. Xanthan is used in a lot of ice creams and things like that. And it makes things not separate. Now, xanthan, you want to be really careful about. I think Bob's Red Mill makes xanthan. And you could probably go to Smart and Final and get that there. Usually they have it. Mm-hmm. Or a place like that, any grocery store that has a lot of cooking stuff. Uh, I think the thing you got to be careful about is it doesn't take much. Yeah, exactly. So if you think about brewing and maybe dumping a little bit on you know on your counter with some uh, malt extract, dry malt extract, how difficult that is to like clean up, <laughs> and how sticky of a mess that is. Multiply that by a lot more xanthan you want to be really careful especially if you're um working with like bottling and and getting wet you know maybe it's a little wet floor from bottling and stuff xanthan is like the most slippery element on the planet if you take a little of that powder and put just on your like finger just for an experiment like it put like a little water on your finger you'll be like it's the most slick like snotty, kind of muddy, almost like um, really slippery, really slippery. Well, but and again, it's there to give texture, to give thickness and viscosity. It's um, yeah. So what what it does is yeah, it creates viscosity. So think about it's in a lot of hot sauces, but you want to be when you add it to your hot sauce when you're blending. Mind you, okay. So let's go through one of the blends that how how I would blend it if I'm doing it cold which sometimes I do it cold. So I'll take a huge like glass mixing bowl, like the big one, your big Pyrex bowl or whatever, big stainless steel bowl, whatever. You take your um, a handheld fine mesh strainer that you might be using for, you know, like a brew strainer kind of thing. I will take that slurry kind of like once it's kind of all, hopefully it's all like blended in because it's a slurry in your your jar, which is why I like this. I dump it into uh, that strainer, right? And then I have a spoon, like a regular size, like soup spoon, a regular size spoon. Um, nothing crazy, stainless steel, you know, or metal. Mm-hmm. I let it like drain into this glass bowl. So all this like it's pulling out all that like pulp, like the not pulp, but the seeds, basically. You're de-seeding it. So if you want seeds in it, you could leave the seeds in it. It's fine. But I like doing this and kind of like I'll take the spoon and I kind of press it around, stir it around, you know, in the strainer. So you can kind of press it through and it just like kind of keeps on going through, keeps on, you know, tons of liquids coming out. And then once you get down to like the, the end of it, it will just be like, 
you know, you'll be like spreading out this kind of seed pulp around the inside of your uh, strainer. So if you wanted to, you could use this by drying it out, like putting an oven, like putting it on like a parchment paper in your oven and spreading it out, that pulp, and, you know, dry it out, turn around, get it really nice dried out or whatever, dehydrator if you have it. And then you've made a very awesome custom, basically your own like pizza peppers, but a brutally hot. So sometimes you could take some of that and shake it on some food, you know, mix in with something when you're cooking. Yeah. I mean, it depends on how brutally hot or how not they are. If they're not, then they're probably going to be tasting like really cool, your own custom uh, uh, pizza peppers. You've you've made your own pepper shake. Yeah. And you put it in a little jar and, you know, label it, hey, this is, don't use this as a regular dash on your pizza. This is brutally hot. (laughs) Uh, So there's always that. Well, Well, you know. So Brian, I mean, I, I, there's a lot to explore here in in terms yeah, of making hot sauce. So one, I think it, people should go and check the the show notes because we'll, we're going to include a link to yep. a bunch of the videos that you that you sent us. Yes, basic recipe. Uh, yep. The link over to the uh, Sandy Fuego, uh, yes. so that people can ask even more questions and find out even more stuff. But real quick, just to summarize, it, and you tell me where I've missed out here. If you're going to make your own hot sauce, one probably. Start with making that matcha stuff that we were talking about with the chili flakes, the the Mexican chili crisp, because that's good and safe. Yeah, you can. You, yeah, blending like making uh, fresh salsas mm-hmm. are very safe. Yep. And, but yeah, if it, it, the blending and balancing is everything, yep. and and your healthy fermentation and your blending and balancing, which is like you know you take a whisk or a mixer in your in your bowl and you kind of do your thing and then fill your bottles. But yeah, you could. You really want to make sure everything's killed off. It's not going to re-ferment in the bottle, and you're fine. It, you could do whatever you want. Like I've never made the same like batch of hot sauce, but I mean, usually when I'm making hot sauce out of that jar, I'm making a case or two. Right. I'm making a good like thirty bottles. I'm filling. Well, and if you're the sort of person who likes hot sauce, you already know that. You know, the sort of the fancier hot sauces, the ones with all the different flavors in them, cost you a fair amount of money. If, you know, like for anything that's yes. not on your, your grocery store that isn't called like, you know, Cholula or Tabasco. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Cause like, yeah, you can make, you can make anything like, you know, you could add, you could, you know, roast some carrots. You could, you know, take some stuff and put it in your, a pan on your stove and kind of caramelize some, something else and put it in there. You know, you could, roast some garlic and whatever you want. So it it's kind of like as much as you want to do, as little as you want to do, just be very careful with it. And if you're new to making hot sauce, when you open those bottles, open them up in a sink with your hand over it with, you know, something that you're not looking at it and maybe glasses on just to make sure it's not going to like hiss, re-ferment. Right. So remember to read the links about food safety that we're going to include in the show notes, read through the recipes, but at the same time, don't fear the Reaper, particularly if it's a Carolina Reaper, but you know, go have some fun with this. And this is literally the sort of project. If you're listening to this on Friday, you can do this on Saturday during home fermentation day. Yes. It's, it's easy to make them. It, as I said, it's 
a minute to learn, a lifetime to master. It's a very easy process. Don't be scared of it, but just be aware. Like be very, even if you know what you're doing, just be very aware and very cognizant of everything you're doing and be very safe. Once you have those things like kind of managed, you'll probably make some really good hot sauces. Get out there and make some hot sauce, people. Yeah, do it. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this beginning exploration of hot sauces. Just think, for a few minutes worth of work, you can make your own last dab or de bomb if you're a sicko. Let us know where you go and what other food topics you'd like us to cover. Now, remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at You can reach us at Denny at ExperimentalBrew.com or Drew at ExperimentalBrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And, of course, you can find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, click the HA or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is going to be the National Disaster Search Dog Foundation. Now, until next time, remember the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. Up your IPA game with homebrewing techniques, craft beer clone recipes, and a free book from the American Homebrewers Association. Push your brews to the limits with Brewing Eclectic IPA by Dick Cantwell. Or dive into the science and history with IPA, brewing techniques, recipes, and the evolution of India Pale Ale by Mitch Steele. Join for one year and receive your choice from 60 different brewing books. Head to homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental for offer details. That's homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental.